Welcome to another edition of the Long Gospel Devotional. My name is Eric Sorensen. I'm a pastor and contributor to 1517 in all sorts of ways. Good to be back here with you again as we look at God's two words and what they have to say to us from all of the scriptures. And so without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into those scriptures. Uh, and I'll tell you, the passage that we have today is is absolutely one of my favorites. It was certainly, that was certainly the case with Martin Luther as well. And in uh, many of the early reformers, because this passage really is so central to understanding the most central doctrine of the Christian faith. Of course, the passage I'm talking about is Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 28. Why is this epi- the epistle text for this weekend? Because this weekend, of course, is Reformation Sunday, the Sunday that we set aside uh, in, in a good number of Protestant churches anyway, but uh, and certainly in Lutheran churches to uh, remember uh, what we what was reformed uh, back during that time in 1517 when Luther first nailed his 95 theses uh, to the wall or to the to the Wittenberg church door. Romans 3, uh, Luther referred to as the heart of the Bible. And the reason Luther would call this passage the heart of the gospel and therefore the heart of the Bible is because, well, quite possibly more than any other passage, it answers the most important question behind the Reformation. And that question was, how is a sinner saved by a holy God? This was the question that plagued Luther more than anything else that drove him, in fact, to the book of Romans to try and answer that question. Because if you know a little bit about the history, you know that the answer had been muddied and lost for quite some time around uh, in the medieval church. There was all sorts of different ways that people thought they had to add to the atonement of Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And Luther was troubled by this because Luther was a man with a deeply troubled conscience. He knew that if it was dependent on his works at all, that if he was honest, he was damned. And so this caused him to strive and search for a God revealed in the pages of Scripture that indeed could give him mercy and could save him totally. And so the question is, framed another way, how is it that God can acquit us and make us fit for his kingdom to live in eternal joy with him? Well, uh, typically people tend to answer that question. The natural human response is to say, well, as long as my good outweighs my bad, then I guess I can be saved. Or at least they, they, they might ask that question, will I be saved as long as my good outweighs my bad? That tends to be the most natural human response. And to some degree or another, uh, people really think that when you when you add that up, they, they really think it's about obedience. It's about how well you obey. And if you're, you know, 52% obedient and 48% disobedient, 52% righteous and 48% unrighteous, God will, of course, weigh out the scales when you show up before him at the judgment. And he'll say, all right, you made it just just barely, but you're in. That's the way most people, I think, tend to think about these things. But the primary purpose of the law, and this is so, so important, and what we're going to be shown in this passage, is not to make us obedient. No, it's not. I know we naturally think that. That's not its primary purpose. No, it is, in fact, to show us our disobedience. That is what Paul makes so clear in this passage as we pick it up at verse 19. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, So that, that's a purpose statement, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. What does Paul say the purpose is? Connect that so that language to the last statement. 
so that every mouth may be stopped. No more excuses are given, and everyone is held accountable for the recognition that they have fallen short of the law of God. And so as much as we might be prone to thinking if we're good enough, we're smart enough, and that doggone it, people like us will be enough to get us into heaven, will be enough to save us, well, we are sorely mistaken, and it won't, in fact, help us at all. So that's the first way that people try and answer the question of how one could be saved. It's, I guess, by my obedience. But there's another more subtle way that you see the answer to this question come in, uh, oftentimes in, in plenty of churches, and that is, well, the law is sort of, it's soft-pedaled a little bit. It becomes a list of recommendations for how to live a better life. And this way, I would say people would tend to think that God looks at you and says, well, just do the best you can and you'll be saved. This, of course, reflects the view uh, oft quoted by Benjamin Franklin that God helps those who help themselves. Or maybe a little less known quote from Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, who said, we know we are saved by grace after all that we can do, after we've done everything we can do. Yes, indeed, that's perfect Pelagianism for one thing, uh, but, but it, or, or semi-Pelagianism even. Uh, but it's also, of course, the way that we often go to or the way that we often hear the word being proclaimed. The law is, well, it, it becomes attainable. And that's something we want. We want the law to be something that we can control. And so we think if we're doing, we're trying hard anyway, then at least that counts for something. But once again, when we do that, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees of Jesus' day did, and make no mistake, they did exactly that. They believed that they were crushing it when it came to the law. That's why they were so incredibly judgmental to people outside of their own sphere. The fact is, when we do that, we misuse that word because, again, the law's primary purpose is to hold us accountable for the ways that we've fallen short. Look at what Paul goes on to say in verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified, declared righteous in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Yes, that's what the law does. It makes us aware of our sin. And so the law functions as a mirror and reveals to us what's really going on, what's really going on deep down in our conscience. And it doesn't allow us to make excuses for our behavior, for our thoughts, for our misdeeds, etc. And really, you know, I'm, I don't think it's too far to go for to say that it's a sin to preach cheap law. I know that often in the church we, we hear concerns about the preaching of cheap grace, that famous phrase coined by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But there is a danger that I see a whole lot in preaching cheap law. I don't know if this is uh, this person frame or, or coined the term cheap law, but John Dink is a uh, Twitter friend of mine, and, and sometime back he, he wrote something about cheap law that I thought was just fantastic, and I want to quote it for you today. He says, Cheap law weakens God's demand for perfection, and in doing so breathes life into the old creature and his quest for a righteousness of his own making. And what I'm telling you is this, what doesn't kill him makes him stronger. Lowering the bar lets the old Adam peek into the promised land. It allows the flesh to survive by rebelling in a form of external piety. Ooh, boy, that's good. He continues, cheap law tells us that we've fallen, but there's good news. You can get back up again. It makes the empty promise of resurrection through our improvement 
instead of our death. Amen to that. And the essay is longer. I'm not sure if you can still find it online or not, but it is a wonderful rebuke to a tendency we all too often have, which is to not bring the law with with the hammer that it is intended to bring, to, to sort of soften the law or to preach the law not with teeth but with gums. And so the fact is the law is picky. The law doesn't bend. I'll tell you a quick story from my own life that I've told before about how the law really functions. Years ago, I was driving away from my mother-in-law's house, and there was no one on the street, very, very quiet suburban community. And I came up to a crosswalk stop sign and stopped my car. And then uh, after stopping my car, drove on ahead, and then suddenly I heard whoop, and I hear, the, I hear a police car behind me. I had no idea there was even a police car there, but I was certain, certain that I had fully stopped and then continued to go on my, my path. So I was genuinely baffled why the police officer was stopping me. Maybe a broken taillight or something. I don't know. Well, no, it wasn't any of those things. The police officer came to the car and he said, the reason I stopped you is because your front tire was on the first line of the crosswalk. So apparently I hadn't stopped soon enough. I had stopped just over the line, but my front tire was actually on the first line. I wasn't in the crosswalk. It was just on the first line. And he said, I'm going to have to ticket you for it. Now, I got to tell you, uh, I, I was not particularly uh, filled with joy over that ticket. It seemed very, very ticky-tack. It seemed very picky. Uh, and it seemed like, you know, it was kind of, you know, dare I say, unjust. I thought, I thought this was too much. So I called a friend of mine who's a police officer, and I said, hey, I got a ticket for this. Uh, you know, it can, is this really fair? And he says, well, was your tire on the line? I said, I, I, I don't know, but I guess so. I guess it was on the line. He's like, well... Technically, he's like, I wouldn't have given the ticket for it, but technically, he can. That's how the law works. The law doesn't bend. The law is not close, but, you know, no cigar. No, it's you have to fulfill it completely or no go. There is no salvation according to the law because no one has fulfilled the law except Jesus Christ our Lord, which leads to our last point, which is instead of, demanding that we just be good to be saved, or at least that we try to be saved by our works. No, no, we just have to be atoned for. That's the reality. We must be saved by someone outside of us. And that's the whole point of the passage. The law is not going to cut it. And so what does Paul say? But now, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested, revealed apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, what is this righteousness? Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What a glorious passage. And you, if you were paying attention, you'll notice that, that this passage really becomes this kind of, uh, it, it has, it covers the solas of the Reformation in it alone. Uh, let's go over that real quick. First, you have grace alone mentioned there. What does Paul say? That we are justified by his grace as a gift. Yes, it is all, it, everything that God does to save us is purely and solely by his grace. Secondly, you have the question come up, well, how can God still be just if he forgives? I mean, if he's giving grace like that, and the answer Paul gives is on account of Christ. Look at what he says in verse 25. 
God put forward Christ as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, what is that word propitiation? Well, it means it really just means an atoning sacrifice an to atone or to satisfy the wrath of God. But the interesting thing about that word used for uh, propitiation, that we translate propitiation, is it's the same word that would have been used to describe the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what did the mercy seat do? Well, it covered the Ten Commandments. It covered the law. And what was sprinkled on the mercy seat in order to give mercy to the people of God in the Old Testament? The blood of the sacrifice. Yes, that's the idea. Jesus's blood is sprinkled so that God might have mercy on us. So Paul continues, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Yes, it's by grace alone, through the work of Christ alone, that we're saved. Indeed, Luther puts it like this in one of his more famous quotes, Our most merciful Father, seeing us to be oppressed and overwhelmed with the curse of the law, sent his only Son into the world and laid upon him all the sins of all men, saying, You be Peter, that denier, Paul, that persecutor, blasphemer, and cruel oppressor, David, that adulterer, that sinner who ate the apple in paradise, that thief who hung upon the cross. And briefly, you be the person who has committed the sins of all men. See, therefore, that you pay and satisfy for them. Yes, that's precisely what Jesus does for us at the cross. God is both just and the justifier in the act. And so what Christ has accomplished for us is simply received by faith apart from any works. As Paul makes abundantly clear in verse 22 and verse 28, he says, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And now you know why, why the Reformation happened. The Reformation happened because there was an insistence that this was the central doctrine, that man is not justified by works, but mankind is justified by faith in the promise manifested in Jesus Christ. And that same thing is true for you today, not by anything you've done but simply by faith in the promised one, Jesus Christ giving himself for the forgiveness of your sins, you can be absolutely certain that you are saved and are going to heaven forever. All right, that's it for our devotional today, folks. I hope that's an encouragement to you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And I'll look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. I'm actually going to be gone next week. I won't be able to do this, but, uh, but I'll be back with you again in a few weeks. God's richest blessings to you.